Well, I consider it an honor and a blessing to be able to be a part of the staff here at Grace Point. And as he said, it's, it's just been a wonderful place to work and a wonderful group of people to work with. And I just thank the Lord for that privilege. And I hope you didn't come tonight expecting a story of someone who's been out and lived a horribly wild life and, and all those changes because that's not happened to me, you know. <laughs> I've never smoked a cigarette or drunk anything that was alcoholic or anything, you know, or drugs or anything. I've just been a pretty boring life in a lot of people's eyes. But it's not been boring because Jesus has been a part of it. And that makes all the difference in the world. I'm going to start off reading a short excerpt from a book that has, the Lord has been using in my life over the last few years. Not long ago and not far away. A nobody named Ordinary lived in the land of familiar. Every day was pretty much the same for Ordinary. In the mornings, he got up and went to his usual job. After work, he ate almost the same dinner every evening. And then he sat in his recliner, and he would watch the box that mesmerized most nobodies on most nights. For the most part, not much happened in familiar that hadn't happened before. Ordinary thought he was content until one day. Ordinary noticed a small, nagging feeling that something big was missing from his life. Or maybe the feeling was that he was missing from something big. He wasn't sure. Time passed. Then one morning, Ordinary woke up with these words echoing in his mind. What you're missing, you already have. Could it be? Ordinary looked and looked. And then he discovered that in a small corner of his heart lay a big dream. The big dream told him that he, a nobody, was made to be a somebody and destined to achieve great things. With a jolt of excitement, he realized he'd been visited by the dream giver. Time passed. Ordinary worked hard on his plan to begin his dream. He made hard choices, difficult changes, and big sacrifices. But finally, one morning, he was ready. This time, this is taken from a story by the dream giver, by Bruce Wilkinson. And it's just somebody who lived in the land of familiar like all of us. But God began to work on his heart. And God began to speak to him and call him out to do something bigger than what he'd ever done before. He had to leave his comfort zone. He had to go out and face the border bullies. He entered the wasteland in the land of the the giants. But finally he arrived in the land of promise, and he thrived there, living his big dream that God had given him. Have any of you ever felt that way before? Like, you just feel like God's got something more that he wants you to do? That he wants you to get out of your comfort zone, and he wants you to get out there and do something extra for him? Maybe it's just be a better worker where you're at. Maybe it's to be more of a witness to those you're around. But, you know, God has a plan for each one of us. And I would like for us, I'm going to read in the scriptures tonight from Acts chapter 27 about a man who was not afraid to dream some big dreams and do some great things for the Lord. In Acts 27, we read about the Apostle Paul. And God had told him he wanted him to go to Rome. And to get to Rome, he arrived on a prison, as a prisoner on a ship. I'm sure that's not the plan he had in mind when he first, the Lord first said, I want you to go to Rome. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't thinking of going as a prisoner. And I know this is a rather long passage, but I'm going to read it tonight because otherwise you miss part of the story. So beginning with verse 1 of chapter 27 of Acts, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship, 
from Adramitium and went to, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving at Sendus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone, and we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was the day after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed rope under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This was not an easy journey that they were on here. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, and I love this because he's basically saying, I told you so. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel from the God I serve to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the sailors, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. 
Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were there to get their own planks or other pieces of the ship, and in this way, everyone reached land safely. I especially want to look back at verses 25 and 26, where Paul told him, he said, Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Here God was sending Paul on a journey to Rome. But in the midst of it, he strands him on, a, on an island out in the middle of the sea. You know, sometimes in our lives, we feel the same way. We feel like we reach a dead end. We don't know where we're going to go or what we're going to do. And we kind of feel like we're stranded on an island or we're going through some difficulty. An island could be, you know, a loss of a job or loss of a loved one or health problems or financial problems. But we feel like we're at a place where we just feel like we're kind of stranded. And where is God in all of this? And why am I here? And that's, that's what happened here to Paul and these men on this ship. They were taken on a detour. And sometimes we have to face these difficult things. And while we're in these difficult places, we find that there's no one else to depend on but the Lord. We really have to, we're kind of forced to really trust him and put our faith in him. And we have to trust the Lord to give us deliverance from these difficult places that we find ourselves in. And while we're in those difficult places, we, we get tougher. We develop character. And God begins to work in and through us. And we find that we can withstand things that we didn't think we could possibly handle. Because God is there with us and we're trusting him totally and completely. We also kind of learn what our strengths and our weaknesses are. We find the areas of life that we're, we really can't handle things. I know after my husband passed away, people kept coming up to me and saying, you're strong, you'll make it. And after a while, I felt like saying, would you shut up? I don't feel like hearing that again because I heard it over and over. And yet, God did take me through it. You know, he did give me the strength to get through it. Sometimes you don't like to hear those things. But, you know, there's no distractions there when we really get alone with God and we really let him work in and through us. And we begin to realize, you know what? I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive. And we drive down some spiritual stakes that make us stronger than what we've ever been before. But it wouldn't happen if life was easy and everything went just according to our plans. 
And this passage has especially spoken to me over the past few years as I look back. And so I'm going to share some of that with you tonight. The journey to where I'm at today, being up here speaking to you, actually began back on January 23, 1973 at 11.15 a.m. That's when I felt the Lord call me to preach. And I didn't know where I was going at that time. I still don't know. But that's when I first felt the Lord speak to me about this. So I went home and my stepfather was my pastor. So the church board gave me a local preacher's license. I went to the district and I had my district license for a couple of years. But back in the 70s, about the only kind of preachers they had were what were senior pastors. You know, you you pastored the church and they didn't have, you know, discipleship pastors or evangelism pastors and all these other things. They were just kind of starting to get youth pastors in churches back at that time. And I didn't feel God had called me to just go pastor a church by myself. So I wasn't really sure what to do with this call. And so I didn't keep renewing that license and I didn't go on to ordination, but I just worked in the church. You know, I I did about everything there was to do. You know, it isn't small churches. You know, you lead children's worship and you teach a Sunday school class and you play the piano and you lead VBS. You just, and I just did all those things. And I've done that for years, just working in the church, doing what I felt the Lord wanted me to do. And I can have continued to do that my whole life. Later on, after that, a few years after that, I married. The Lord blessed us with two children. I homeschooled my kids. And I continued to serve in the church. And there were times we were there so much the kids would say, why don't we just bring a sleeping bag and stay? Because it just seemed like we lived there. But in December of 2002, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And when I heard those words, I knew life would never be the same. For the next eight months, we watched him battle that. And God provided for us we were told in december of 2002 that he could not work the doctor said the chemo is going to take too much out of you you can't go back to work i was homeschooling our children my husband needed me at home so i couldn't go out and get a job we didn't know what we were going to do so we had to trust over those next five months god provided for us in such a way we never knew we were without I can't explain it except for the only thing I say is my husband loved to give to the Lord. And he was faithful and he'd get excited when he did income taxes and he'd come and, Vicki, we were able to give this percentage to the Lord this year. And he'd get excited about that. And I just feel that God honored that faithfulness. But we watched him suffer for eight months from the time we actually found out it was cancer. And in July of 2003, Chuck was given the ultimate healing, and he was taken home to be with Jesus. I was left with my 14-year-old daughter, my 12-year-old son, and the Lord. And he has walked with me every step of the way. By the winter of 2005, I'd been a widow for about a year and a half, and I just began to feel God wanted me to do something different. Sort of like there was a big dream there, but I didn't really know what it was. And I felt him pulling me that I needed to make changes. And one day I'd been in prayer. I'd been look I actually at that point I'd applied as a children's pastor at a church and I'd done some other applying online and I just felt one day as I was praying the Lord said move to Fort Wayne. Now, 
that's not on my list of priorities and never has been. <laughs> you know, I just, why Fort Wayne? I had no clue. I have family here, but none of them had called and said, well, why don't you move down by us? And so I, I said, Lord, I said, why Fort Wayne? I don't have a job there. I don't, I don't have any reason to go there. And as clear as can be, the Lord said, you go to Fort Wayne, get your kids settled in school, and I will give you a job. Well, I was raised by a mother who always said, Vicki, if you don't obey me, you won't learn to obey the Lord. And that's the way that we were taught. It's the way we were raised. I said, okay, Lord. So we came down. We began to look for a house. The Lord provided a home. We moved down here on August 13th, 2005. On Labor Day weekend, Connie Norris, my cousin's wife, told me that there was a job at the church. I brought my resume in that next week, applied, and by September 26th, I was working here at the church. About six weeks after I landed here. (laughs) And it has been a wonderful journey. And I look back on it now, and I see that the Lord needed me here to work with certain people. Chuck and Carla and the staff here have been wonderful encouragement and support to me. And... There's been a reason why he put me here. I know that. And when Pastor Rex spoke to me about helping with the pastor of discipleship, I thought, well, there's the next step. I don't know what the next one is, but there's the next step in the journey. But back when I was seeking the Lord in Michigan, I told you I had read this book, The Dream Giver. And the Lord had begun to speak to me at that time that I needed to get out of the routine of my life. And I even had a neighbor who said, Vicki, you need to make this move. He said, if you stay here, you'll just stagnate. You need to do this. You need to move on. And it was just another confirmation of God speaking to me and, and letting me know that this was his will. Back in the summer of 2010, my daughter had surgery, and she wasn't feeling very well. And so to try to give her something to do, she wasn't able to get out and about much. I said, would you like me to read to you? We'd done that a lot when she was younger. So I pulled out this book, The Dream Giver. I thought, I'll read this to Beth, and maybe this will encourage her. So I read it to her, and as I was reading it, the Lord once again began to speak to my heart about this call to preach. And as the story of of this dream giver of, of ordinary goes on, he reaches a point in his life where he begins to feel like he's done where he's at. He's done what he's supposed to do. And he begins to see that he looks around and the place that he's in, this is his dream and he's accomplished it. And what does he do now? And one day he heard the, thought he heard the dream giver say, come further. Ordinary begins to walk again until he steps outside the gates of the city. And he hears the dream giver say, well done, ordinary. You're a good and faithful dreamer. Now let me show you more. Soon you will leave what is familiar once again, the dream giver said, and I will be with you. And as I read that that summer to Bethany, the Lord began working on my heart. I have something else I want you to do. I want you in ministry. So I went to Pastor Carla and I told her how I was feeling. And she encouraged me to renew the preacher's license and to find out what I needed to do in their course of study. 
But through this process that was, last, that was last summer, about a year ago when I talked to her about that probably, and last uh, March um, is when the Lord began to speak to me about this shipwreck and how I had felt like I was stranded on a desert island and I would felt like there were some tough places to go through and I would felt alone but that the Lord was going to take me farther. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was rereading Acts 27 and 28, and the Lord showed me the rest of the story about the Apostle Paul here. And uh, said, once safely on Acts 28.1, and once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us an unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a brush of a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days, and from there we set sail and arrived in Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. And as I read this here... They had been taken on a detour. They'd been stranded on this island. But while they're there, God begins to use them. He uses them to heal the people that are there that are ill. He didn't just strand them there and let them sit for three months. But he, he made good use of them. And then he supplied their needs. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I identify with Jeremiah the weeping prophet. <laughs> Frequently, the way I am. Um, God used them while they were in this difficult place. And then verse 10 says, when they got ready to sail, he supplied all their needs. He gave them everything they needed for their trip. And then he took them right where he wanted them. He took them to Rome. And, you know, I couldn't help as I was thinking about this. And I was looking at my own life and how God is working and moving. And I don't know what the next step is. This is temporary, but I don't know what the next step is. That's okay. I just want to be ready to be used wherever he places me. And I know that he's going to supply every need, no matter what it is. And in the end, I'll be where he wants me to be. But I couldn't help but think of Grace Point when I was thinking about this. Think about our church. We're kind of in a place of transition right now. Maybe we, some of you feel like we're stranded on a desert island. <laughs> and we don't know exactly what God has in store for us. 
We don't know who our next senior pastor is going to be at this point, but God does. And he knows what he wants us to do until that time comes. He wants to use us, every one of us. We can't leave it all to Rex or the other pastoral staff. God needs every one of us to pull up our bootstraps and to get out of our comfort zone and say, Okay, Lord, where do you want to use me? What can I do to help Grace Point go forward for you? What can I do to reach out to those in my community, in my neighborhood, and at my workplace and help them come to know you? And as we go through this time, he's there to supply every single need that we have. He'll supply our needs spiritually, financially, in every way. We can count on him that he's going to take care of us as we go through this time. And when we get to the end of it, we're going to be right where he wants us to be. Our lives, our church, we can all be exactly where God wants us to be. So I want to challenge you tonight. Let God speak to your heart. Ask him what you can do to be more like what he wants you to be. Ask him what his big dream is for you and where he wants to lead you. Because just as ordinary suddenly understood that his big dream here was finished and it was time to move on to a new and bigger dream, he looked again toward what lay in the future and the horizon was full of promise. And the same thing is true for you and I and for Grace Point. The horizon is full of promise. God has great things in store for us. We have to let go and let him work in and through us and get us to where he wants us to be. Let's stand for prayer tonight. Our dear precious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your many blessings to us. We thank you, Lord, that we can freely come and worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for each one of our lives. And Lord, tonight we just pray that you'd help each of us to accept the challenge of letting you work in and through us and using us, Lord, for your honor and glory. And trust you, Lord, for the days ahead that you're going to take care of us and that you're going to bring us out to the very place where you want us to be. So, Lord, we're just trusting you and we're believing you tonight, Lord, because we know that you are the one that's in control. And we know that we can do that. And Lord, just as you took care of Paul in the shipwreck, and as you've taken care of me through the difficulties that I faced, you're going to take care of everyone else that's here, Lord, with the needs that they have. So help us tonight, Lord, to trust you, to follow you, and to be your hands and feet. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.